Good morning. Welcome to Central Church. We're so glad that you could join us here live in person and you online. Thank you so much. So this week in our series, I wish we could take a step back and, and ask ourselves, why does the bad golfer take a mulligan in the first place? Well, you all know, you've, you've been around or seen golf enough. You know, he has hit, he or she has hit a bad shot. The, the ball landed in the pond or in the deep, deep in the woods or in the sand trap or wherever. That, that's, that happens to me like every other shot. It's as if my golf balls have a homing device that says, get me to the water, get me to the water. You know, you'd think they were desert golf balls or something. I've got to get water, kerplunk. Mulligan, mulligan, we, we, we get it. That's why, that's why we're wanting a mulligan year. At 2020, where a golf shot, it would have landed in the pond or deep in the woods. We need a mulligan, a do-over, a restart. And when the golfer misses the shot, and his or her, her partners allow it, and they, and they take a mulligan, the shot was off course, they, they missed the green, they missed the mark, they missed the goal, kerplunk. The, the, the point is, that's what we're wanting, not just... Not just for our year, but, but the Bible tells us that all of us, like, like that bad golf shot, all of us need a mulligan. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. All of us, every single one of us has missed the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us, every single one of us, have made mistakes, have made errors, have, have, made, have sinned. All of us have gone astray. Soon we'll be starting the community Bible reads again. We're starting all over, way back in book one, which begins with the book of Genesis. Your commercial for the day is, I'm going to be leading a group on Thursdays at 12 o'clock right here in the church if you want to join my group starting sometime early in February. But when, we get, when you read, if you're familiar and you've read Genesis enough, you know that when you get into the book of Genesis, you don't get very far before person after person after person goes astray, goes astray, goes astray, over and over and over again. You know the, you know the story. Adam and Eve started off. You know their story. Second generation, Cain kills his brother uh, uh, Abel, and then, and then Lamech comes along, and he introduces polygamy to the world. And there's Noah, the most righteous man in the whole world, right? Noah, build your boat. Noah, uh, Noah, zookeeper Noah. He gets drunk, curses his own grandson. And I, I don't know if I can talk about Lot in, in polite company when the, when the residents of Sodom surround his house instead of fighting, instead of doing something noble. He offers his daughters that they might violate them. It's terrible. And Lot is the most righteous man in all of Sodom. And Abraham, Abraham plays favorites with, with his sons Isaac and Ishmael. They become estranged. And then Isaac plays favorites with his son Jacob and Esau. And they are enemies for 20 years. And then Jacob plays favorites with his sons. And, and 11 other brothers want to toss, toss, uh, uh, kill Joseph. And then eventually they sell him into slavery. They're dysfunctional from, start, from beginning to start. You would think if you're writing the Holy Bible, you would find some more holy people to put in it. It's person after person after person. Why, why is Scripture, beginning from the, from the get-go, why is Scripture so filled with unholy people? It's because I think the, the, the important theological truth is every single one of us need a mulligan. Every single one of us have missed the mark. Every single one of us have gone astray. Every single one of us has sinned. Let's go back to Jacob. He's probably the poster child of a guy needing a mulligan. Isaac and Rebekah, second-born son, twin, Jacob. Esau was his brother. 
I suppose all of us, if we look deep into our family tree, sometimes you don't have to go all that far. You'll find a scoundrel, an embarrassment, someone who, who you'd rather not talk about. I, I've told you before, my great-great-grandfather was on the run from the feds in England. Changed, our name hasn't always been Prince. It used to be Pierce. He changed the name to keep the, keep the feds off his back. I don't think it worked. Great-great-grandpa was a scoundrel, a thief, all those things. Well, 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 Jacob is the same. In fact, Jacob changes his name is going to get changed too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he was a scoundrel. His name means, Jacob means heel, as in, as in I'm going to crush you with, under my heel. His name can also mean usurper or deceiver, which is not a particularly nice name. It's accurate. Jacob the con man. When he was young, he cheated his brother, his knuckle-headed brother Esau, out of his birthright for a bowl of stew. Are you kidding me? How, who would do that? I, Carla's a great cook, but her stew is not worth my, you know, the entire inheritance. But, but Esau, one fry short of a Happy Meal, he says, okay, sure, give me the stew. How good a stew is that? And if that doesn't make it bad, his brother Jacob not only cheated him out of his birthright, the inheritance, he also cheated him out of his father's blessing. He got his mother involved in it. He dressed up like Esau. It was a terrible thing, lying to his half-blind, half-dead dad. You think your family is dysfunctional? This family is dysfunctional with a capital D. Terrible. As you might imagine, when knucklehead Esau discovers that his brother not only stole his birthrights, but stole his blessing, he is not happy. And he takes off after Jacob, and Jacob takes off, going to, to stay with his uncle Laban. Now, he doesn't get very far into that journey until he realizes he needs to rest, he needs to camp out, and he stops at a place called Bethel. When you leave and lickety-split like Jacob did, you don't, you don't uh, uh, remember everything to take. And he didn't, must not have taken a sleeping bag because the Bible tells us that he uses a rock for a pillow. Now again, he, he's just taken off. He's stolen his brother's birthright. He's stolen his brother's blessing. He's on the run. He's got a rock for a pillow. If that were me, I would be able to sleep a wink. I'd be paranoid. Every sound I heard was that, Esau, is he coming? Is he coming? Where's Esau? He's coming to get me. I wouldn't be able to sleep a wink. I can't drink coffee afternoon. I wouldn't been able to sleep a wink. So nervous. And yet it doesn't seem to have a problem for old scoundrel Jacob. He sleeps like a baby. Not only does he sleep, but he has a dream. All right, if you're in the Holy Bible, you have already been, you are a swindler, a con man. You've cheated your brother out of his birthright and his blessing. You would think in this dream, it's going to be a holy smackdown. It's going to be God Almighty taking a, you know, just body slamming and one, two, three, you slender, you con man, you cheat, you terrible person. But that's not what happens in this dream. He has a dream of the ladder, the largest ladder, the biggest extension ladder of all time. It reaches all the way up to heaven. It's more like a, a two-way escalator because the angels are cruising up and they're coming down and they're up and they're down. And he hears from God. And this is what God says to him. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants on the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offering, offspring. Remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the con man, Jacob. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What, what in the world? God, this is Jacob. 
Not only is God not striking him down, not only is he not giving him the, the, the biggest body slam of all time, he's giving him pretty much word for word the same blessing, the same promise that he gave to Abraham, his grandfather. Jacob is not getting what he deserves. That's my point. Instead of the body slam, Jacob, con man, con man, Jacob is, is going to be the person through which the entire world is blessed. Are you kidding me? This story leaves me a little upset. I want people to get what they deserve. I want the people who stormed into the capital to get what they deserve. I want people who commit crimes to get what they deserve. Jacob is not getting what he deserves. Why no? Blow him up, Lord. Send a lightning bolt. And then, when I get really upset about it, I remember the verses that I gave you now about seven minutes ago. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Jacob is no worse than you and me. Oh, his words are written in black and white. You know, we've, people have been talking about his actions for the last 4,000 years. Uh, your actions may be much, much quieter. No one's going to write about them, probably. You're not going to be splashed across some scandal webpage. But all of us, every single one of us, the truth is, has sinned. We've, we've all, all gone astray. And when we return to God, when we turn to God, God is gracious and merciful and, and good and kind and offers us, offers us a mulligan just like he did for Jacob. When, when we turn to him, we get that mulligan. And listen, look, look at Jacob's response. Jacob, Jacob responds like we would want him to respond. God gives him this mulligan. You're a swindler. You're a con man. But here's the promises. And Jacob responds, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking, I will, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, Jacob! Hooray! Finally, 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 con man Jacob gets it. He is saying, I'm going to be your man. I'm going to, you can count on me. Not only am I going to be, I'm going to give you a tenth. I'm going to tithe on everything. Hooray! Jacob now you probably already know this I'm sure you know this but just in case you don't know this or you've forgotten this God takes our vows very very seriously in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 the Bible says when you make a vow to God do not delay to fulfill it he has no pleasure in fool, for fools and fools fulfill your vow it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it God is serious about our vows Jacob just makes a vow that's why we call, we call weddings holy matrimony. Yesterday, in this very room, we had, you know, kind of like the royal wedding of Central Church, children's pastor daughter Hannah, or children's pastor Janet's daughter Hannah, married, senior adult pastor's grandson, board member's son, Tyler Van Steenberg, and they were standing right here, right in this very spot, and they, like in every wedding, made vows to one another. But their vows were not just to one another. It wasn't just so that the, the people who were here could witness those vows. No, we call it holy matrimony. Why? Because, because they were making those vows before God Almighty. Saying we are going to always be there for one another with sickness and health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. A serious vow. And God takes those vows seriously. You know, we, we say that around here, you know, to break those vows, to break our marital vows. Is, is an affront to God Almighty. Now, it's not the unpardonable sin, you know, it's not that, but 
God takes vows seriously. That's the point. And Jacob makes this vow to God. I'm going to be your man. You can count on me. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to be yours. Hooray, Jacob! And he promptly goes out and completely breaks his vow. I wish I could tell you that he was just saint from then on, you know. Woo-hoo. You know, all this dysfunction, everybody's dysfunctional, but Jacob goes on, woo He's still a scoundrel. He's, he's still a con man. And he goes to see his uncle Laban, and he's a con man too. And for the next 20 years, they con each other and trick each other and play all sorts of garbage with each other. And in the end, after 20 years, Jacob has... That has two sisters as wives and their two concubines. That's a whole mess. He has the 12 sons. They're all, all messed up. And finally, after 20 years, one last con over Laban, he decides to go face the music with his, with his brother Esau. And so he takes off, and he's heading back, and I'm skipping so much, but we've got to go, got to go, got to go. And we get, I can't skip this. In chapter 32, he's, he's going to face the music with Esau, who he's ripped off. And Jacob finds himself sleeping again, Nighttime again, meets God again, this time in the form of a person. And he literally starts wrestling with, with, with God. Jacob and Esau in this wrestling, or Jacob and, and God in this wrestling match. Guess who wins? You, you can figure it out. But say what you will about Jacob. He's no quitter. He holds on for dear life. And in chapter 32, verse 26, it says, I will not let you go. Jacob's saying this. I will not let you go until you bless me. And God says to him, well, what's your name? Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, like my great-great-grandpappy. His name was changed. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome it. Oh, there's so much to tell and no time to tell it. I wish we had, you know, an extra hour. Let me leave you with this. We would do well to wrestle with God more than what we do. We don't, we, don't, we don't spend enough time with God. When we're facing dilemmas and situations, he's on his way to face the music with Esau. We need to spend time wrestling with God. We need to be pouring out our God far more than what we do for our country, for our our families, for our neighborhood, for our state, for the situations, for the circumstances. We need to wrestle with God way more than we do. Well, in that wrestling, God changes Jacob's name. And he goes from Jacob, I'll crush you under my heel, Jacob, Jacob the scoundrel, Jacob the con man, Jacob, to now his name is Israel. Talk about a name that sticks, right? Israel, it's still there. Israel, it means he wrestles with God. And really, it's a simple reminder to Jacob. Jacob, you're no longer the con man, no longer the snake, no longer the swindler. Now your identity is with God Almighty. And I'm skipping, skipping, skipping so much, but he goes to to meet Esau, and it smooths over, and eventually we get to chapter 35. That's where I wanted us to be this whole time. So for the last, you know, what am I at? 18 minutes uh, is all intro. Now we really get to start the sermon. Are you ready? Chapter 35. Because everything we've said leads up to chapter 35. So Jacob the swindler, the con man, in recap, meets God at Bethel. God does not give him what he deserves, but shows him grace, gives him a mulligan. Jacob makes a vow, I'm your man, I'll always be your man. He promptly breaks that vow. Over and over again, he breaks that vow. And for the next 20 years, Jacob is swindling and conning and all sorts of mess going on. He finally takes off to face the music with his brother, but before he gets there, he has another encounter with God who changes his name to Israel. You're no longer a swindler. Now you're, now, you're, now you're wrestling with God. Your identity is with God Almighty. 
And then he, everything goes well with his brother. I don't know if you're counting at home. Is that two, three, five, fifty, a thousand mulligans? How many mulligans has God given him? And we finally, finally, finally get to chapter 35. And this is what God Almighty says. This is what I want you to hear. This is the big deal of the sermon right here. Go up to Bethel. This is God speaking to him. Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. That's it, Pastor? That's a big deal? Go to Bethel doesn't sound like a very big deal to me. Go to Bethel? All right, <laughs> let's dig into it a little deeper. Remember what God is saying to Jacob here? What he's really saying is go back, Jacob, to where I first encountered you. Go back to that place, Jacob, where you, where you first made that vow to me. Go back to where that place where you made those promises. Remember that, Jacob? You made those promises. You're always going to be mine. You're going to be mine. You're going to tithe. You're going to be mine. You're going to be sold out to me. Remember that? Go back there. Don't go back there, Jacob. Go back to the place where you were so desperate for me, where you were on the run from your brother and you, you thought he was about to kill you and you cheated him and you swindled him and he had every right to do it back in those days. Go back there and, and remember the place where we met and you made a vow and I met you and we had this come to God Almighty type of moment where we had this heart to heart and you made a vow and I said I was going to be there for you. Go back there, Jacob. Go back to that place where I gave you that mulligan. See, this series is called The Mulligan because it's, it's about when you, when you know where the green is and you know where the flag is, you know where the hole is and you're aiming for it and you take the tee and you put it in the ground and you grab the ball and you put it on the tee and you, and you step back and you look again, you make sure you're all lined up exactly where you need to be and you take a couple of practice swings, one, two, three, and you step up to the ball and you swing a mighty swing. And the ball goes into the woods. Deep, deep, deeper in the woods than you ever thought. You totally missed the mark. You need a mulligan. And so you make a promise. Okay, I'm never going to do that again. I've learned my lesson. I've, I've, I've made a vow. You can count on me. I'll never do that again. And maybe not the next hole. Maybe not even that round. Maybe not the next day, the next month, not the next year. But you do it again. And again, and again, and again. And if you haven't noticed, I'm not talking about golf anymore. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about, about your encounter with God. And you made a promise to God, a vow to God, and, said, God, and God takes vows so seriously. You say, God, I'm going to be yours. You can count on me. And like Jacob, you step out and you break that vow. You haven't kept it. I don't know why. There's a million reasons why. Life and busyness and sin whatever maybe you and God are the only ones that even know about the vow but you know obviously others may be affected by your broken vow but you know and in the end it comes down to you and God you and the holy God asking the question did I keep my vow you see I want us to go back to Bethel this morning I want, I want us to go back to the place where we first made that vow when we first made a promise to God when we first said God I'm going to be yours do you remember that place for me, it was the Elmwood Church of the Nazarene, 6149 North Main, Wayne Road, Westland, Michigan. When I was preparing this sermon, I, I thought, I haven't been to that church since I got my driver's license, 16 years old. And I started going to another church. And that was it, 61, and I just saw 6149. I remembered the address. I haven't been there in 
you know, 40 years. I remember the address, and I Googled it, and sure enough, there it is. It's, not, it's, a, it's a doctor's office now. It's not even a church. It was at that church when I was a middle schooler, seventh grader. The preacher who preached, the preacher who preached is a lot like Jacob. He's a swindler. He took off with money from that little church and basically ended that little church. But he preached the sermon, and as a middle schooler, I went down to an altar. It was on this side of the church. It was right on the end, right on the spot. And I promised God, I'll be yours. I'll always be yours. You can count on me. That was my Bethel. I said, you can count on me, God. Where was your Bethel? Do you remember it? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what happened? Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, when you first encountered Jesus, maybe... Maybe you at home are saying, well, I don't have a Bethel. I've never, and some in here, you're saying, I've never invited Jesus into my heart. I've never had a Bethel. I've never had an encounter with God. Today could be your day. Today could be your day where you, there even at your house, you can turn your, your, your couch into an altar and you can, make, you can say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. You can encounter Jesus today, right here, right now. This could be your Bethel. This could be your day. This could be the greatest day. But I know I'm speaking to a lot of people. You've already had your Bethel. Do you remember it? Maybe it was an emotional time when you, you found yourself, maybe it was in an altar, maybe it was a, at home, but you found, found, found a time when you said, Jesus, I need you to come into my heart, and Jesus was faithful and just, and he did just that, and he wiped your, your sins away, and he took away your guilt, and he took away your shame, and you were overcome with emotion because of what Jesus had done, and he made your life so much better and cleaner, and you lifted up your arms and said, thank God Almighty, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free at last. Or maybe it wasn't emotional. Maybe it wasn't a, 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 maybe you were totally dry-eyed and you just invited Jesus into your heart and said, Jesus, you can count on me. I'm going to be yours. And you knew deep down in your bones, you knew it was real. It wasn't just some, some thing that, that you did. You knew that it was real. And Jesus came and, 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 and came a part of your life. You got all the Jesus. You know that, you know that. And so my question for, or the, the, the thing for us to do today is to remember, remember that Bethel. And then ask yourself this. Am I still with God? Am I still following him with the same fervor? Am I still captivated by his message? Am I still in awe of his glory and wonder? Or has it faded? Has life and busyness, pandemic, politics, worry, cares of this old world, making money, doing things, other things, have they, have, they, have they caused my fervor for Jesus to fade? Remember your Bethel. Remember where you were. Do you remember a time when you were driving down the road, maybe 75, you're driving down the road, and a song came come on the radio or maybe on your Spotify, and it's like God, it was a Christian song, and God filled your car, and you could sense his blessing, and you started welling up with tears. You were so teary-eyed, you couldn't even drive. You thought, man, i got to get off the road. I'm going to cause an accident because God was so real. When was the last time that's happened in your life? Or when was, when was the last time you, you used to love, maybe you served in, in youth ministry or children's ministry or, or you had some sort of, of thing and you loved it, loved it, loved it. You knew exactly that's where God wanted you to be. But then you had to give it up for this reason, that reason, and now you're not doing anything. When was the last time that you were really in service, service, service to the Lord? 
Or do you remember a time in your life when God would speak to you, maybe in a sermon or maybe in a Sunday school class or maybe in your own personal devotions and it so captured you, you just had to share it with somebody. And so you wrote to me and said, man, God was really speaking to me and this is what he said. Isn't it awesome? When was the last time you did it? Can you remember your Bethel? Have you faded? That's my point. Or does Jesus speak to us like he spoke to the church at Ephesus when he said, you don't love me and each other like you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Jesus is saying, remember your Bethel. You used to love me more. You used to serve me more. You used to strive to live for me more. Well, Pastor, COVID's going on. You know, COVID, COVID, COVID. Can't do anything because of COVID. You know what? As far as I can tell, COVID has not stopped phone lines from working, at least not at our house. You can call a lonely neighbor. COVID has, not, COVID has not stopped the words of the Bible. They have not disappeared. You can still read your Bible. COVID has not stopped uh, uh, opportunities to pray. If anything, it's given us more opportunities to pray. Yes, maybe we need to be more creative in COVID, but, but we still need to serve Jesus in COVID. I would not want to, to, to meet Jesus today and say, well, Jesus, you know, 2021, you know, COVID, 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 COVID. I want to be able to say, I was serving you. And just in case you're wondering, you can still tithe during COVID. I know, that's meddling. We're going to need to move on. Jacob hears from the Lord. Go back to Bethel. We've got to scoot. That's first step. Remember, remember, remember. Step two is verse two and three. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of your pagan idols, purify yourself, and, and put on clean clothes. We are going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered my prayers when I was in distress, and he has been with me wherever I have gone. All right, Jacob, finally. Come on, we're heading back to Bethel. Woohoo! And at first glance, I want to say, woohoo! But then did you notice what he said? Get rid of your idols. Get rid of your idols. Are you kidding me, Jacob? This is after he had an encounter with God, after he made a vow to God, after God had smoothed out everything with Esau, after he had wrestled with God, after all that, now, finally, now, he's telling them to get rid of their idols? File this under better late than never. Listen, if you're going to remember and go back to Bethel, you may have to get rid of some baggage that you've picked up along the way, but you need to lay down your idols. You need to bury them. You need to get back to Bethel. You need to get back to that place where you first made those vows and said, Lord, I'm going to be always yours. You can count on me. And maybe you've been more like Jacob than you care to admit today. And you made that vow, but then you promptly went out and broke it and broke it and broke it and broke it. Can today be the day you come on back? Can you hear from the Lord and say, come on back. I want you to be back when we were so tight. When, we, when, 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 when you knew what to do and you did it, when, when you knew how to serve me and you served me, when you knew how to love and you loved me, let's get back there. You've gotten your eyes on other things. You've put priorities in other places. Let's get back there. Listen, we're going to sing. We're going to sing just an old, it's just what we used to call an altar call. Come to the altar. And you at home, if you're watching, you can turn your couch into an altar. Maybe today will be your first Bethel day. Your, your encounter with Jesus day. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you've encountered Jesus, but you've just kind of slid away. Let today be the day when you come on back.